1: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with Jess Ostroff. She is a writer, speaker, and the director of Calm at her company, Don't Panic Management, which is an agency that has a people-first approach to virtual assistant success. And in fact, that's what we talk about in this episode. It's been a while since we've talked about virtual assistants, what they are, why you might need one, why you probably should get one before you are even aware that you need one, and how to make the best possible match between you and your possible virtual assistant. We even talk about what you should expect from a good virtual assistant, as well as what your virtual assistant should expect from you. If you've ever considered pulling the trigger on getting a virtual assistant, but haven't done it yet, then I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation with Jess Ostroff. This week, I'm super excited to bring to you Jess Ostroff to the show. Jess, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So we don't know each other like super well, but I've known of you and I know we've kind of interacted a few times over like many, many years now, probably around the time you were just getting started Mm -hmm. in the virtual assistant world. Uh, specifically through our mutual friend, Jay Bear. Uh-huh. And, and what I know from <laughs> one, doing my homework and listening to you on a bunch of other podcasts is <laughs> you've got a great origin story getting into this, which really builds up in the listeners' minds, your credibility on this topic of virtual assistance. So I would just love to hear you, you know, however early you want to start back, like, how did you get interested slash into doing this world of virtual assisting?
2: Sure. Well, I think it goes back to my youngest memories, actually, the more I think about it, because I've always sort of had a problem with uh, people telling me what to do, (laughs) which is maybe a common millennial trait as well. But I don't see it that way. I think everyone's different. Some people are more rule rule followers and some people aren't. Um, But I remember it. I think it was probably sixth grade. I had this horrible algebra teacher and I really didn't mind the subject, but I didn't like her and I would do things on purpose to like piss her off. <laughs> um, and I've been thinking about that lately because I found myself when I was thinking about why I, I did this and what got me started here, I found that a lot of it had to do with just not listening to people <laughs> and not listening when people told me that, that this maybe wasn't a good idea and that I should get a real job. So that was a funny memory that kind of came up in the last few days, actually. But, um, I went to college, I wanted to do I basically wanted to travel around the world and make money. Uh, And I figured what better way to do that than to go to business school and study international business. And I figured, you know, I could do any kind of work. But as long as I have a fulfilling, you know, personal life where I get to travel and, um, you know, hopefully afford to have nice dinners and things, then I will be happy. Obviously, that's a very uh, naive way to go into my major. But you know, at 18, I think it's hard to know what you really want out of life. So, uh, you know, it's a good or good reason as any, I thought. And I quickly found that the marketing side, which was my I had a double major in marketing and international business was interesting, but it wasn't really enough for me. I didn't want to do that exclusively all the time. And so I started looking into other things, you know, as graduation was approaching and a lot of my fellow classmates were getting jobs at um, agencies and also accounting firms and financial institutions. And I was like, ah, oh, it sounds so boring. I don't know if I can do that. And also somebody's going to be telling me what to do. And then we know that I don't like that. So I tried to go a different route. I actually took a year uh, and did an AmeriCorps program, which I figured would be a nice way for me to give back to the the country i did i decided to do uh something in america as opposed to the peace corps because i i learned that we have a lot of problems in this country and and why not start here so i was teaching math and science to eighth graders uh students who had not only Uh, achievement problems but also behavioral problems so it was like uh, the the really tough kids (laughs) that needed a lot of uh, one-on-one attention and it was really really difficult but also really fulfilling and I think I learned the the work ethic that I have today through that experience Uh, and so for that reason I it was extremely extremely worth it. Uh, time well spent. I also learned how to save money <laughs> a little better because I was only making $200 a week. Uh, and I was still, I was still getting taxed. I mean, it wasn't like $200, you know, tax free. And so I had to figure out how to, you know, afford groceries and pay rent and, and not really do a whole lot of fun things or (laughs) do fun things that were free, you know, kind of get creative with that. And so that was really interesting. Um, I knew that that wasn't necessarily my path um, for the rest of my life, but I knew that I, I enjoyed helping people and I enjoyed sort of being my own boss. So from there I had to, I had to figure that out and there wasn't anything that really spoke to me at that time. I wish that I was one of those people that always knew what I wanted to do and always had like a passion to follow. um, But I really didn't. And so I just kept trying things. You know, I worked as a social media manager for a nonprofit. Um, That's when Jay and I kind of got reconnected. I had interned for him in college, but I I hadn't really been that close in touch with him until after college again, when I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, help me. <laughs> and uh, he was very generous with his time and sort of mentoring me and, and and helping me see that it's okay to do a lot of things because that helps you figure out what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even if you don't know exactly what it is you do want to do, you can try things until you find something that you don't hate. Um, so and that's around the time, you know, after I graduated the AmeriCorps program, working at a nonprofit, I joined Twitter, you know, I was kind of starting to get more active on social media, because my job was related to social media. And this was 2009. So Things were still pretty new, uh, but he had tweeted that he wanted a virtual assistant, and I was like, huh, I wonder what that is, (laughs) and figured out that uh, all of my administrative assistant experiences as well as some of my marketing experiences might be a good fit for working for somebody virtually. You didn't need to be in the same office to get a lot of this type of work done. And so that was the start. And that was the first experience I had, you know, for Jay, I was booking flights and uh, filling out contracts. I even remember faxing something (laughs) for him, which (laughs) may have been my first experience with a fax machine. Oh, wow. And I think that's when you and I probably uh, got connected because I was doing a lot of, you know, managing of communications and things for him. And he uh, also helped me get myself out there and and connect with other entrepreneurs, agency owners and people who just needed help. And so for me, I found the fulfillment in helping these people with the skill that I had that they maybe had, but didn't necessarily want uh, to be doing with their time. You know, a lot of the people I work with, it's not that they can't do the work. It's just that they're better equipped to be doing higher level work and they could use a hand getting the the lower level tasks off their plate. And I also learned that not a lot of people want to do that, but that i don't mind (laughs) doing, you know, nitty gritty work. And I've also learned that there are a lot of people out there who really enjoy being behind the scenes and just churning and burning and and really cranking out work and they feel fulfilled that way. So it's been a, it's really a really great journey so far.
1: Way back in the day, probably in the first, I don't know, 15 to 20 episodes, somewhere in there, Jay was on the show and he gave me two quotes back then that I'm sure you have probably uh, lived your virtual assisting life for him, as well as then kind of taken that into your uh, don't panic management company here. But um, the two quotes obviously are, you need to do only the things that you're uniquely qualified to do. Yep. And then the other is, if you're doing things other people on your team can do, you're robbing them of opportunity.
2: Mm. Jay is like the king of quotes. Yeah. But I've actually never heard that second one oh, cool. uh, before. So that's awesome. And yes, I agree. I mean, I I learned it, I, you know, the uniquely qualified value, whatever you want to call it, you know, that, that is something that has become more and more important to me as a business owner. I, I can't believe how long it's taken me to take my own advice. (laughs) You know, I'm working with clients every day, trying to get them to get out of their own way. And I've had such a problem doing it myself. And part of it, I think is because I, I do enjoy those, you know, menial tasks and those sort of, um, Easy to check off things, and I've, I've been, uh, I don't know, maybe afraid to tackle the bigger tasks and the bigger projects because I feel a little guilty. You know, I feel like I, I'm still a virtual assistant at heart, but now I'm also a business owner. And and he's right. You know, as every time I do something that somebody else could do and somebody else who's not in charge can do. It's not only robbing them, but it's actually robbing the company because, and I figured this out through a, a financial exercise actually that I did last year where we, we assigned a, an hourly rate and a cost of services to every single person and every single task that we do as a company. And because my salary is slightly higher, you know, than the other people on my team, it costs more for me to do the work. That somebody else could do for a lower rate and therefore it costs the company more. And that was a big eye opening sort of realization for me because I don't want the business to lose money <laughs> and I don't want to be the one who's making the business lose money. So, um, against my, <laughs> my, um, you know, uh, my will <laughs> a little bit, I have started to delegate a lot more of the things that I, I mean, I genuinely enjoyed doing, you know, some of those more lower level tasks, but it was because I was robbing my team and robbing the business.
1: Yeah, th- that whole scaling and and especially that price point thing, like if you think about it, like that's one of the benefits of and we should probably get into this. Like, let's talk a little bit and then go into, like, a little bit more of your story from that point mm-hmm. of when you stopped working for Jay and then scaled into and, and even struggled as you scaled into uh, Don't Panic Management. Mm-hmm. But let's stop here for a second and, like, let's address kind of the elephant in the room. Because a lot of people, they're thinking they've probably heard the words virtual assistant a number of times. Mm-hmm. And they either have a false uh, you know, definition of what that is, where they think it's like Siri or something like that.
2: Right, right. Or
1: they think that it's somebody that you hire, you know, in some third world country who's just going to do mm-hmm. all the mundane stuff you don't want to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's false on both c- accounts, right?
2: Well, maybe not false, but short-sighted. It's yeah, that, not that's a just way to that. Put it. Yeah, yeah it, because virtual assistant, you know, <laughs> it's so frustrating. I, I feel like we need a new term (laughs) for what I do because that, like you said, is a term that a lot of people have negative or false connotations with. People do consider, you know, Cortana and Siri and the other one, which I'm not going to say because I have one in my house, (laughs) (laughs) Um, are virtual assistants because they help you with things, uh, you know, in your life. Yes, that's true. And if that's the definition, fine. But there, they could be so much more. But actually, I think that what we're doing here at Don't Panic and some other, you know, freelance virtual assistants and people that I know are so much more than that. And I want people to understand that because I want people to know that, Yes, they can hire a full-time employee and that's often the best option for them to, to help them grow their business. But there are other options and not everyone understands what those other options are. And I don't want people to think that, you know, a virtual assistant in India or or wherever is their only option. Uh, and so that's what I'm trying to do with my speaking and my writing and just getting the word out there that a virtual assistant can really become a partner in your business. And it's not just someone that you throw, you know, like you said, those menial tasks at. Yes, you can give them menial tasks and they'll be very happy to do those for you but you can also have them help you sort of rethink your, your processes and get more things off your plate that are preventing you from doing those things that you and you alone are uniquely qualified to do. So, It's not just about, you know, okay, what kind of data entry do I have or what kind of meetings can I schedule? But it's about changing even the structure of your business and changing the way you're spending your time so that you are able to grow exponentially. I mean, I think about that, you know, with our conversation before about, about money and everything. It's like, what could I do for my business if I had a true 40 hours per week? just to think about, you know, goals and my future expectations and developing my team and training and and doing business development like what could we achieve? I don't even know because I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> you know, I'm still doing a lot of the I'm still doing client work. I'm still doing um, you know, some of the uh you know more operations type stuff because we're not quite at that level yet uh, but seeing the transformation especially over the last couple of years for me in sort of letting go and getting out of my own way um, taking the chance on hiring people having my own assistant I never thought that as a virtual assistant I would get to have an assistant um, but you can anybody can and that's the beauty of it you're not you're not bound by geography you're not bound by you know number of hours you can have a, a virtual virtual assistant for five hours a week, and that can change your life. And and that's a message that I want people to understand is that um, even the smallest engagement can make a huge difference in opening up your brain space and giving you back that valuable time that you can, I mean, you can do whatever you want with it. You can go on a hike. I don't care. You know, whatever it is that makes you be the best version of yourself for your business.
1: Well, and so you've had firsthand experience because you started off as a virtual assistant, not just for Jay, but then for many people where mm-hmm. you, you got maxed out on your hours and suddenly it's like, whoa, hold up. And, then, you know, yeah. and then, so how did you from that point scale up to the point of, you know, adding virtual assistants to your team? Like, what was that scaling and growing process like from then till now?
2: Yeah, that that's kind of a funny question, too, that I've been thinking about lately, because it was another one of those times where I was just like, oh, I'm just going to figure this out. And I'm not going to listen to what anybody else says. (laughs) You know, it was all like. What I learned in school was all about creating a business plan and trying to get investors and and mentors and create a board of directors. You know, the way that I learned to go about building a business was not the way that I went about building a business <laughs> for better or worse. I really just I, I almost didn't believe that I was where I was. And even to this day, I I can't always believe that I've gotten here. But, um, but I think that humility has actually been really helpful because I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't gotten too big for my britches. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I grew organically and I, as soon as I couldn't do the work myself, I went on LegalZoom and created an LLC <laughs> and, you know, they send you this big binder that makes you feel very official, but I wasn't that official. You know, I had an EIN uh, and I was, you know, trying to protect myself a little bit, but I, I just wanted to do the work. And so I think that from there the The biggest things that I learned and that I had to pay attention to that I didn't have to pay attention to before was that all of a sudden managing people uh, was a whole <laughs> new challenge um, and not something that I necessarily planned for. I remember talking to Jay about this because he had been running a big agency before he started Convince and Convert, and he always said, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have to manage all these people again. That's the hardest thing. And I agree. Managing people is the hardest thing. You know, if you're just in the day-to-day doing the work, that's easy. That's the thing you're good at. That's the thing you know. But then all of a sudden, being responsible for another person's livelihood uh, is a little bit more challenging and a little, and definitely more terrifying. So I I wanted to to go slow because of that. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't biting off more than I could chew. I wanted to make sure that I could pay people. And, um, you know, I basically just I paid myself what I needed to live. (laughs) And at that time, you know, again, I was very young, I didn't have very many expenses, I didn't have any dependents, you know, I wasn't married or anything like that. So um, I didn't need much to to be happy, I was traveling, I was doing the things that I wanted to do. And then, um, you know, just tried to figure out how to create fair contracts and make sure people were getting what they deserved. Um, From there, I think my first big, uh, you know, milestone after actually creating the business in 2011 was in 2014 when I had too many clients to manage. So I wasn't even doing all the work anymore, but physically managing, um, even like invoices and contracts and things like that. I just got completely overwhelmed. So that was when I said, you know what, I think I might need a, at least half-time if not full-time person to support me in just the the project management and the the quality control of the clients that we have. And so that was really big because I didn't know if I could afford it. <laughs> and at that time I didn't have any like trusted accountants or financial people to 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 check with. <laughs> so again, it was a little dumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little dumb to, you know, take the chance on doing that, but but I always felt like and this is a little woo woo. So I apologize for that, but I always felt like whatever I put out into the universe, I would get, and it's worked for me, which is great. (laughs) I don't know if everybody could say that, but I said, you know, I want to do this. I want to grow this business. I want to hire this person full-time. I love her. I think she could do a lot for me and I did, and she still works for me. So it worked, (laughs) but it was a little bit of a leap of faith more so than, a, a. you know, carefully thought out business decision, which is kind of embarrassing to admit because I did go to NYU for <laughs> business school. But I think sometimes you have to go that route. You have to invest money to make money. And at the time I had, you know, some extra cash and I knew that I I didn't have, again, I, I think I was lucky because I didn't have a lot of expenses. So even if I had to take money out of my salary, which I did a number of times, I, I could do it because it was important to me.
0: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs
0: shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care.
1: And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. It's possible I know that over the course of this growth process and this scaling that you've done, though the company is called Don't Panic Management, that you've experienced panic yourself in the form of like overwork and even health issues into something you call superhero syndrome.
2: We sort of touched on it before where I hold on to things that I shouldn't. And a lot of people do. And I I finally felt like I needed a name for it. (laughs) And so I heard about this superhero syndrome idea and I was like, yep, that's it. (laughs) That's the thing. I am wearing a cape and I don't want to take my cape off and I can do everything. I can do all the little things. I can do the big things. It doesn't matter. I have to do them. Nobody else can do them. And that's the end. And what happened to me and what happens to a lot of people, I know you had Chris Ducker recently. He and I have talked about this because he had um, a major back issue um, many years ago. He's okay now. But we've all gone through these things where we think that our bodies can handle something and they just can't. And, you know especially in America, United States, we're seeing that some of the biggest health issues that our population is facing is directly related to stress. And that's very sad (laughs) to me because that tells me that we are not only unhappy as a population, but are putting our values and our priorities in the wrong place place. I mean, does it have to be that stressful? No. And I've gone through cycles of this. Um, 2014, when I first hired my first full-time person was literally as a result of uh, you know, the pain of changing was less than the pain of staying the same um, because I got really sick and that whole year I was sick and uh, different, different things in different times. But I was like, I'm a healthy person. I take care of myself for the most part. Why is this happening to me? And it was because of stress. It wasn't because I wasn't, you know, exercising or I wasn't getting enough sleep, although I definitely wasn't doing that enough. Um, but it was stress and it, and it, and it weakened my immune system and it made me have problems that I I shouldn't have had at that age. So, I I had to reevaluate and um that's sort of when I was like, okay, Jess, this is a real business. <laughs> and you can't do your work in this business if you're not healthy. And you know, we totally take our health for granted all the time. I mean, people do this in in all kinds of industries and jobs and it's not worth it, especially as we become more of a, you know, a a virtual economy. I mean, if you can't even work on your computer (laughs) from your house, you know, that's a problem, let alone all the workers that actually go to jobs and actually use their hands and use their bodies to do work. Uh, We need to take care of ourselves. And that became a major priority in in, after 2014. But I actually have to say it didn't become as big of a priority as it should have of until probably two years later when I found myself, I was better, but I wasn't all better. Um, And now, you know, I I say that 2017 was kind of, it was Shonda Rhimes year of yes, but it was my year of no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I was saying no to almost everything that I could that didn't directly help me reach my goals. And my goals for last year were building the business to a place where I could get out of the day-to-day, writing a book, and and focusing on my health and my my exercise schedule and my sleep schedule, and and that's what I did last year. And I'm I'm proud that now in early 2018 I've maintained those habits. I'm not perfect, obviously nobody is, but um, I've really started to to take it seriously because I can't. Another that's another thing of you know sort of robbing your team. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of your team? And how can you be a good leader and set good examples? And that's one thing that, you know, I've worked with so many clients uh, and had so many different experiences that I've seen many different styles and types of leadership. Or lack thereof. (laughs) Um, and I, I want to be a good leader. I think being a good leader is what really inspires your team to give their all. And for me, it's not even about them giving their all to me. It's about them giving their all to their clients. And first and foremost, the, the client satisfaction in this business is what matters. But, but before that, we need to be healthy as a team. And I need to be healthy as a leader in order to provide that service.
1: We've had a number of episodes recently and upcoming episodes even that I, you know, have already recorded that have to do with this taking care of ourselves, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, sleep, health, all those things, uh, even taking even taking rest seriously, yeah. which, yep. you know, is is like a negative connotation or a, like almost like, a oh, they need to have rest. Like they can't work 80 hour weeks like we're just looking at it wrong, you know, mm-hmm. but um as I hear your story, I hear you describing your experience and it's playing out some of the common objections uh, that people have as well as mirroring kind of that point of, oh my gosh, I need help. I want help. I'm willing to seek or allow help for the first time ever.
2: Right. And that's a big shift. I, I talk to people who are I just talked to somebody last week who clearly needs a lot of help, but I could hear in his voice that he wasn't ready. Um, He either wasn't ready to let go of certain things or he wasn't ready to accept that help. And so one of the things that's been great about the book and the work that I've been doing is I now have an exercise that kind of puts it back on that Client, <laughs> instead of saying like, "Okay, I'm going to put together a proposal for you, and uh, hopefully you'll take this because you really need it," <laughs> you know, I'm putting it back on them by asking them to do it. I'm calling the panic-proof life audit, where they go through every single thing, every single hour, every single minute of their day and they're basically recording that and s- it on a piece of paper or or on their computer and doing that for a whole week if not more. You know, some people need to do it for a couple weeks to really see any sort of pattern, but once people see all the things that they're doing looking at them in the face from a piece of paper, that has been powerful in helping people say, "Oh my gosh, like I can't believe I'm doing all this stuff and I can't believe that I'm wasting my time doing all this stuff. When was the last time I actually had dinner with my family or when was the last time that I actually worked on this new business project that's been sitting on the back burner for the last three months? We find ourselves, like you were saying, sort of wearing this badge of busy like an honor and it's not because Oftentimes the busyness is working on things that are urgent, but not important, or that are, you know, sort of helping pass the day, but not moving the needle in your business or just are mindless. I mean, yes, sometimes we need to rest, but rest is not scrolling through Facebook or or Instagram, you know, rest, we need to just be more intentional in general about all the things that we're doing. And I think that the life audit exercise helps you do that because you can't hide from it. (laughs) You know, if you're actually being honest, when you're writing things down about what you're doing, and then you look at it, you see, oh, yeah, I did spend 20 minutes, you know, scrolling through Facebook, and then I spent 10 minutes responding to non urgent emails. And then I only spent, you know, Five minutes having a meeting with my team who who really needs me right now, uh, things like that. When people say I need help and I'm panicking <laughs> and I but I don't know what I need, um, this exercise puts it back on them and, and it does require some uh, <laughs> you know soul searching a yeah. little bit and and also some time because you're having to actually write it down on paper, but. Mm. But once you can see this, I think it's just so valuable because then you can start to look at every task and categorize it. And, you know, the list of things that you are uniquely qualified to do or truly love is likely going to be your smallest list. But the things that you hate and the things that are unnecessary for you to be doing is going to be your biggest list. And those are all the things that you can relegate, like scrolling on Facebook, for example, that you don't need to be doing that. Automate, you know, maybe creating a, you know, setting up a social media management tool that can uh, send you monthly reports automatically, for example, or uh, an email marketing tool that can shoot out your newsletter for you or delegate. And delegating would be where the virtual assistant comes in, but it doesn't have to be a virtual assistant. It could be your in-person assistant or your marketing manager or someone you already have in your office. But you know, sort of coming, having that coming to Jesus moment with what you, with all of what you are doing is, is really eye-opening for people um, because they spend so much time doing work that they don't have time to think about the work that they're doing. And therefore they can't see the forest for the trees, right? And they can't, yeah. you know, get to that next level.
1: Well, that, it's that forest for the trees thing that you were saying that, that makes me think of something Chris Brogan always says, which is your day is your week is your month is your year. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, drill it down one more level than your day. It's your, your, your minutes are your hours are your day right. is your week is your month is your year. So it's like, right. People have no granularity to the tasks that they're doing mindlessly, just like scrolling through Facebook and suddenly a half hour has gone. Mm-hmm. And so they don't know that they need to be relegating in that case, especially yep. Yep. or then automating or then delegating. And and that really plays into some of those common objections people have to not thinking or even acknowledging that they need help.
2: Right. And the other thing about that that I've seen people have sort of this light bulb moment is that I don't think it's possible for anyone to work eight hours straight on those big ideas and those big important projects. So inevitably, you're either going to be, you know, if you if you are someone who feels like you have to work eight hours a day, you're going to inevitably be doing some of those smaller level tasks Because your brain can't possibly function at that high of a level for that many hours. Alternatively, (laughs) and I know you've probably talked to a lot of people who subscribe to this idea, you could work for four hours a day. You could work for six hours a day and only work on those big things and then close your laptop or turn off your machine, whatever it is, and then be intentional about doing the other things in your life that you care about, whether it's spending time with your kids or exercising or cooking or going on adventures or whatever it is. And, you know, this idea that we have to be sitting at a desk for eight hours doing something, even if it's not important, was really what made me think, you know, back in 2009 that there has to be a better way. And there is. And you know, if we can be intentional about all of our time and work on the big projects for however many hours you possibly can, and then and then feeling comfortable saying, okay, I did a great job. I hit my goal for the day. I did this hard work. You know, my brain is tapped out. I'm gonna go do something else now. I don't have to sit in front of my computer and then and scroll on Facebook or, or do whatever it is just because I need to sit here for eight hours. You know, our our new economy uh, is so incredible for that reason. And I think that we need to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, there's there was a huge shift uh, for me personally back in the year 2014 when I stopped working at a business and started working from home for mm-hmm. Social Media Examiner. Mm-hmm. And there was something easier about going and clocking in and warming a seat and being available right. for a phone or an email uh, in a cubicle But there's something more free, but yet also ultimately more challenging working from, you know, home or from wherever you can or want to, which is becoming much more, you know, the norm with one possible flip of the term virtual assistant could be remote contractor.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And not everybody has that discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to recognize. I know this is like kind of a tangent, but, you know, it's. It's crazy to me that people think, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. It's easy. It's not easy. (laughs) I mean, maybe the work itself, the tasks themselves that virtual assistants do are easy, objectively. But managing your time and you know, managing multiple clients, multiple projects is not easy. And it really takes discipline. And it takes, I think, you know, saying no to to one thing so that you can do the other thing. It takes, you know, I'm like 20 feet from my couch where my TV is. and I have a (laughs) lot of Netflix to catch up on, but it takes discipline for me to sit here in front of my computer and continue working. Um, But I think that's also just about rewarding yourself too and setting goals and and when you achieve them, saying, you know, good job, Jess, and going to watch an episode or going outside or doing whatever it is you want to do. Um, and not enough people are even allowing themselves that reward because, again, they're they're so busy working, quote unquote, <laughs> working, which maybe they're not even working on important things. Uh, they're so busy doing that that they can't possibly give themselves any sort of break.
1: Yeah. And I think the thing is, is like, for example, people in my position where they've got maybe a full time job and then they've also got this side hustle thing like I do with Mm -hmm. this show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm gradually getting to the point where and maybe we maybe you and I need to have a conversation in the near months here. I'm going to need help at some point here to continue to crank out the show and increase the, you know, the work workload, et cetera, the output, I should say. Right. Um, and one of the things with that is I just I love the fact that you're making it easy to allow people to dip their toes into testing out, you know, working with a virtual assistant because of one that um the the audit first off mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. allowing people to see that but then you're make, you're you're coming at it from a whole different perspective where the people on your team are Becoming like a, becoming like a people, the people on your team are becoming like a person on my team. Right. Which is a way different dynamic than I've ever heard it described when it comes to virtual assistants.
2: Right. I have always felt like that's the best way. I mean, that's the best relationship. It's the best way to build trust. The biggest thing, that's what I started realizing when I was a virtual assistant in my early days, people were like, who are you? (laughs) You know, like, where do you live? What are you doing when I'm paying you for these hours of things? They like you said earlier, too, didn't know what a virtual assistant could do. And and why should they? I mean, there were all these negative stories about people who were in another country, and they didn't speak English, and they would be paid for a service, and then they would never do the service, or they would be paid and then do it wrong. And and then the client had to completely redo it themselves or something wasn't done on time or their reputation was messed up because their assistant said something that they shouldn't have said. You know, they're all these stories. And I'm not saying that mistakes don't happen because, of course, they do. But if you can start to embrace somebody for their talents and their personality and everything that they are as a part of your own team that's the best way to build trust and that's the best way for you then to be able to utilize them effectively because I've seen clients too where they really hold back on on asking us for things because they're nervous and and I get that you know we're not you're not we're not right next to you you can't look over our shoulders to see what we're actually doing but I try to build that trust up front as much as possible by being really transparent about how we hire how we train um, how we do billing you know how we bill on the first of the month for work that hasn't been completed yet some people don't like that but we say that up front you know because this is how we do business and and if you want to work with us this is how it's going to work but that's in every case you know. These are project management tools that we use, or we can use your tool. You know, these are um, some things that we suggest when you're we're just getting started. You know, we have we have intake forms and surveys and all of these things. People have said to me, you know, this is so great. I had never even thought about what hours I like to work. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I just I work all day. I'm an entrepreneur, I, or I'm a you know I'm a manager. I work all the time, but but hearing them have to think about you know, even that basic thing, like what hours do I normally keep and what hours would I like my assistant to keep? You know, obviously we can't, we're not, we're not an on-call service. We don't provide 24 seven assistance. but if we know that you're someone that's on the West coast, for example, and you're a night owl and you, you maybe want an assistant on the East coast, who's going to work You know you're going to work late that night, you know, sending out assignments, and then the next morning, the assistant on the east coast is going to do all the things, so that by the time you wake up, you've got a clean inbox and you've got a bunch of tasks that are done for you. You know, things like that are are what we try to accommodate, but that's not something that a lot of people think about. Um, But it can make a big difference. So we, yeah, I guess our approach is um, accommodating, but also. Uh, we have rules, <laughs> um, and the rules are there for a reason. And it's because we've we've worked for so many years with so many different people, and we've realized that you have to be just in a, as invested, if not more, in this relationship as we are, because you you ultimately are in charge. You're the client. You tell us what to do. But if you don't try to develop that trust to get to know your assistant, you know you're the one that's losing because. We can only do as much as you as you empower us to do. And I think that, too, is is a shift from what other people think of as virtual assistants because they don't sometimes even think of them as real people. So they think, oh, I don't need to build a relationship with this person. Um but some of the best stories that I've heard from clients and friends who have worked with virtual assistants are are those where they were just having like a a side conversation with their assistant and then they found out that they had this other skill. That they didn't even know about, and that wouldn't have come up uh, if they weren't having that side conversation. And then all of a sudden, they are able to delegate even more. And and that thing that they thought only they could do, you know, let's say it's podcast production, or let's say it's writing blogs. All of a sudden, their assistant can do for them, and then that's even more time that they have back in their day. I think the the sky's the limit with with virtual assistant help these days, and that's also why I think we need <laughs> a better mm-hmm. term for it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's an exciting time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you're naming off all these different benefits as to why your approach, your holistic approach even, and why you're so honed in on the relationship aspect of this virtual assistant agreement, this contract, but moreover, you know, let's call it what it is. It's a relationship. It's going, Mm -hmm. it's a relationship of working together. What do you think is a good example of expectations that somebody hiring a virtual assistant should have of their virtual assistant and vice versa.
2: <laughs> I love this question. One of the chapters in my book is all about not being a terrible client, but it does come down to to expectations. I think first and foremost Virtual assistants generally are not employees. What does that mean? That means that you cannot require them to work certain hours that you dictate. Um, you can only require them to complete projects. So you have to assign things, you know, you might have an hourly agreement with them, like 10 hours a week, let's say, but you can't force them to work like 9 to 11 every day. Um, if they, if you say, I would like you to work from nine to 11 every day and they say, yes, I would be happy to do that. That's okay. But the expectation uh, and knowing that they are a contractor for the most part, uh, that that's one thing that's really important to know. Um, another thing that's important to know is that most of the time, if you have a virtual assistant, that's 10 hours a week, the chances are good that they have other clients, uh, because they need to fill their, their 40 hours or however many hours they want to work. So you need to understand that they cannot be on call for you all the time. They might be working on another project. They might be out living their life somewhere, but that's another expectation that is important for the client to have because what it forces you to do a little bit is be more prepared and be able to say, I have these five projects. I need this one due on this date and I need these other two due do on that date and whatever it is. And that way you're it's on your assistant to manage their schedule and their time to get those things done for you when you need them done. Um, But again, you can't force them to work on something or be on call for you uh, in a certain hour or day. Another common sort of misconception that is related to expectations is that assistants, virtual assistants already know how to do everything. I think that many virtual assistants have a lot of experience, and that's one thing that's great about assistants who work with different clients is that they're able to bring the experiences that they've had with these clients to you as you, as a client. But you still need to be able to set aside some time to do a little bit of training for them so that they meet your expectations. I mean, they might have one way of writing a blog post or of delivering a flight itinerary or whatever it is, but because you're the client and because it's their job to give you things the way you want them, you need to tell them (laughs) the way that you want them. Um, You know, I I always say like, I would love to be able to read your mind and maybe in a couple of years, I will be able to read your mind, but, but not today. So, you know, assume, you almost want to assume not that not that they're dumb not that they're not capable but you you need to over communicate in the beginning and and you need to figure out a way to do that and and you need to figure that out with your assistant you know whether it's having daily phone meetings for the first couple of weeks or having a slack channel that you guys can communicate back and forth on in real time or just being really good about reading your emails i mean I've had some clients where they've said, well, I told my assistant I needed this project done, but they they didn't do it the way I wanted. And I say, well, I have this email here where they asked you a couple of questions and you never responded. So, you know, we could only do what we knew how to do. And if you didn't want it that way, you should have responded and clarified. Um, and that's why I always tell people you need to expect to work <laughs> maybe extra uh, for the first few weeks, if not few months, it may only be an extra two hours or five hours or 10 hours, but you do need to invest that time. And like I said before, I think uh, you need to be as invested, if not more in the relationship than, than we are. And, and it really is an investment, you know, similar to how I pulled the trigger on a full-time employee a couple of years ago, you know, my first full-time employee. This is oftentimes the best way to do it is to hire a virtual assistant before you're panicking, (laughs) in which case it's often an investment. It's something that um, you didn't budget for possibly, or that you're spending a little bit outside of your budget in order to make this happen because you know that the payoff will be tenfold. You know, you know that if your time is worth $300 an hour and you're paying your assistant $40 an hour, well, there you go. If you have five hours back in your week to charge that $300 an hour, it pays for itself like immediately, and that's how I think it's important to think about. And then, uh, I mean, those are just a few things I could go on and on. But from an assistant perspective, The assistant needs to expect that it's going to be tough (laughs) in the beginning. It's always tough with a new client. It's tough to, especially a client who has that superhero syndrome a little bit and has been, you know, owning these uh, tasks for the whole time that they've been running their business, it might be hard for them to let go. But the assistant, the greatest assistants that I've worked at, worked with are ones that are not afraid to be a little pushy, um, not in a mean way but just say, hey, you know, I have some hours left in my week and remember that you can give me this, this or that. Um, I noticed that you were going to a florist to pick up flowers for your wife. Did you know that I could just order those for you? Um, You know, things like that, being proactive about, about noticing what clients are doing, especially in the beginning and offering ways to offset some of those tasks that maybe they don't know, they don't know that they can delegate those tasks. So um, the best assistants are really looking out for those things and being proactive about uh, communicating when they can step in, uh, especially if they have the time and and their clients are under assigning to them. So Those are just a few things. We could talk for an hour probably about expectations. (laughs) Well, and that stuff's
1: all in the book. And the book, obviously, I I love the title, is Panic Proof. So you're leaning into that. Look, if it's not ever, well, hopefully it's not ever too late to accept help Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that you need the help and then you know go that route. But it's so much better off to cut it off way ahead of time. And again, do the audit. See where you're at with your minutes, your hours, your days, et cetera. And see what you can uh, relegate, automate, delegate. But then at that point, if you don't have anybody to delegate to, uh, you know, within an existing team, or if you're a team of one, then guess Mm -hmm. what? Like, this is the route to go.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that there, you know, that's the other thing that's exciting about this time is that don't panic management is really a pretty small company and we're not the only solution. And that's exciting too, because if you have a budget or if you have a certain way that you want to work, there are so many options out there for you. And that's really exciting because you don't have to go one route. And I always tell people that like, we're pretty particular about who we hire from the assistant side and also who we'll work with from a client side, which means that Not everybody's going to be a fit for us, but the ones that aren't, you know, I have tons of recommendations of people that you can work with or other, you know, agencies or marketplaces that you can search to find someone that is right for you, because that's the most important thing. It's not about, you know just hiring anybody <laughs> it's about hiring the right person and i think that takes some time up front as well of figuring out what exactly you need but also what kinds of traits or values are important to you that your assistant has and because if you are going to build that long-term relationship which i think everybody should strive to then they need to have the kinds of values and the experiences and and the the work style that you you think is important. So, um, it's, it's an exciting time and, and I am always happy to talk to people about it, whether it's, you know, you want to work with don't panic or you want to work with somebody else, but I, I love sort of helping find those solutions and, um, Helping people operationalize what it is that they're doing and what they shouldn't be doing (laughs) and sort of take off that cape, you know, get, get to the, the place where they feel comfortable saying, you know what? I can do all this, but I don't have to. And in fact, I'm going to be much happier if I'm not doing all this crap. (laughs) That's the goal.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, Jess, it's awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and your availability for people who have more questions. Obviously, we want to point people to Panic Proof, the book. Uh, I love the subtitle, How the Right Virtual Assistant Can Save Your Sanity and Grow Your Business, which those are the two key options right there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even if you're just going to do it for one of those, even if you're just going to do it for sanity's sake, or if you're really looking to grow. But hey, this does both. um, People can start there and we can point people to that. I'll I'll link it up in the show notes and everything for this episode. But where else can people find you as well as uh, Don't Panic Management if they have more questions for you about this topic?
2: Yeah, well, any social media site, I'm at Jess Ostroff, my name, basically, easy enough. And on don'tpanicmgmt.com, so it's don'tpanicmgmt, which is short for management.com, we have a lot of resources on our blog about things like how to get started with a VA or am I ready for a VA or what kinds of things can a VA do or you know, how can I get a VA to write my blog post for me, <laughs> You know, things like that. So um, that's a great place to start if you're interested. On on the site too, we have a pop-up up right now that allows you to get a free chapter of the book. You can also go to panicproofbook.com to order the book and, and get a free chapter. And when you sign up for the free chapter, you'll also get a life audit template that you can go through. And if you're, if you're at that level where, you know, you need help, uh, but you're not sure (laughs) what it is yet that you need help with, that's a really great place to start. Um, but if you do know that you need help and you're ready to talk, you can get me on social media or you can email me Jess at don't panic MGMT.com.
1: Awesome. Jess, that's so generous. Thank you so much. I hope that, you know, everybody takes this to heart and thinks about, you know, where they're at, takes stock of where they're at with their sanity, even, and uh, moves forward and and gets rid of this panic because I know <laughs> it, I I hate having it, and I'm I'm glad that you're helping people get rid of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. My ultimate goal is to just have everyone be happier because happy begets happy. I think, and <laughs> a lot of us are miserable, and and that's just. We just don't need that in the world. So let's all become panic-proof.
0: So do you already
1: have a virtual assistant or are you considering getting one? Has this episode furthered your thinking on that topic or pushed you in the right direction of whether this is the right next step for you? If so, I'd love to hear it. Let me know in the comments for this episode at com slash 215. That's also where you'll find the link to Jess's book and the links to find out more about her and what she's doing over at Don't Panic Management. You'll also find the link there to click through to ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash beyond, where you can post jobs for free. Maybe that's a different route you need to go instead of a virtual assistant. But in either case, getting help. Don't be afraid to accept and acknowledge that you need help and then get help with your work. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know somebody who needs to listen to this conversation about virtual assistants, share this with them. Do me that favor. Share this episode with them and let them know about it. And with that, I will see you next episode.